0: A basketball coach. And the story goes that when she was asked to start the women's basketball program at Belmont University, did you have to go buy the basketball? Something like that? I mean, it just, I mean, there was no budget, there was no nothing. And, uh, and she has become one of the most important figures in the state of Tennessee in women's basketball. Now, she's a coach, that's her platform and she believes that God has placed her in the intersection of these young people's lives so she could have gospel conversations. Now, as she has found her place and her platform, we want each of you to find your place and your platform where God has put you, the people he's put you with, to have those gospel conversations. So take advantage of the training opportunities coming up but be aware of how God is using you and wants to use you and the places he's put you and the the people that he has put around you for these gospel conversations. Well, I found out how to get people to sit down front and have the kids sing, (laughs) and everybody moves down front, (laughs) sticks up their their iPhone and cameras and all that so they can get a picture of the kids, so... I'll be, uh, I'll be talking to Daniel about how we can rearrange the worship service a little bit. <laughs> My mom believed she could change the world if she was everybody's mother. Anytime she would see somebody making a less than stellar decision, she would say, he would not be doing that if I was his mother. She would not be dressed like that if I were her mother. They would not be doing that. They would not be saying that if I were their mother. And woe be to me if I ever brought up, well, mom, everybody's doing it. Oh, the speech that came after that one. (laughs) Well, I'm not everybody's mother. And if everybody, if I was everybody's mother, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing. if they run off a cliff, would you follow them too? I raised you to be better than that. I raised you to know better than that. And I don't care what everybody else is doing. I'm not everybody else's mother. I am your mother. I raised you to do better. it's an easy excuse isn't it everybody's doing it it's just the way things are now No. you and I were raised better you and I were taught better we know better we're called to do better and this is what Paul writes to Timothy in his last letter second Timothy Chapter 2, stand with me in honor of God's Word as we read the opening paragraphs of the second chapter. You therefore, my son, be strong in grace that is in Christ Jesus, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. You commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Not one serving as a soldier, no one serving as a soldier, gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life, for he seeks to please the commanding officer. And if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get the share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in all of these things. What you have heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it. Believe it. And live. Let's pray together. So Paul passes the baton to Timothy. Timothy. And Timothy passes it to the faithful men and women that he knew, and across the generations, across the ages, across the continents, the baton has been passed from believer to believer. And now, O Lord, it has been passed to us. We pray with all we are that the baton does not drop here, that the race doesn't end here. And we pray this in your name, Amen. Depending on how you date the ministry of Paul, this was probably written somewhere between A.D. 60 and A.D. 65. We think Nero executed Paul in the year A.D. 65, somewhere around there, give or take a year or two, depending on what sources you want to point to. But we know that this letter was written late enough in Paul's life that he began to understand that he wasn't going to get out of this alive. The political climate had changed. Christianity had gone from a curiosity to a nuisance. Local politicians, local Roman leaders were trying to squelch the growth of Christianity. It had come to the attention of the Caesars, Nero in particular. And Nero would find it politically expedient to execute Paul. He would get a bump in his ratings if he gave in to what the people around him wanted And executed the Apostle. So Paul writes to Timothy knowing he's not going to get out alive and what does he say to Timothy in this last letter? I raised you better. Paul tells Timothy things are hard and they're going to get harder. They're gonna to continue to get hard until Christ returns and we celebrate the victory of the returning Son of God. Expect it. Understand that's the reality of living in a fallen world with fallen people. People you count on will betray you. People you trust will let you down. Paul named some of them. He gives us illustration in other letters of people that had been in the ministry with him had been shoulder to shoulder in the battle with him, who now forgot him, abandoned him. Here he is in the Roman prison because he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And no one comes to see him. The friends that he thought for sure would be there, they're not. You know who they are he tells Timothy you know how they hurt me but as for you I raised you better things are going to get hard do not be surprised do not be taken off guard do not whine Do not throw your hands up in the air and go, oh, Lord, why me? Understand, there's a cost for following Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know where we got this mythology. I don't know where we got this outright lie that says, if you follow Jesus, everything works out for you. Have you heard that? If you love Jesus and Jesus loves you, your life is just blessed. You always find a parking space. You know, you can just pray and the Lord will move cars out of your way and you never get hung up in traffic and the, no dandelions in your yard, no crab grass. You know, it's just a wonderful way to live. Who told us that? And why in the world did we believe it? It's not in Scripture and it's certainly not related to anything Jesus said. If the world recognizes you as one of His, they will come after you the same way they went after Him. That's what Jesus promised. When they recognize you as one of His, our first response is thanksgiving. Oh, good, you know what side I'm on. Good, you know I'm not one of you. You know I am one of his. And I am grateful for that. When it comes, you endure it. You bear it like a good athlete, like an athlete who's made the decision that I am going to win this prize. Have you ever hung around? A world-class athlete now I'm not talking about your Sunday afternoon jogger I'm not talking about that I'm talking about somebody who has made the decision years before the event that this is where I'm going to be I'm gonna stand on the platform I'm gonna get the trophy have you ever spent any time with them they're nuts (laughs) okay now you're gonna say they'll get up at four o'clock in the morning and work out they'll eat kale You know, go work out some more. They'll go to bed at 7 o'clock at 7.30 so their body's getting time to recharge so that they are ready. They will have no social life. They will have no fun for the years it takes to achieve that goal. And then when that moment comes, they know they have already won the race. Why? Because I've been paying the price for years. The race isn't won when the gun goes off, it's won in those hours of practice and exercise and discipline when everybody else is asleep. You take it the same way that a good athlete has said, this is the prize that I want. I want to receive the crown of righteousness that Paul has promised at the end of this letter. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but to all of those who love his appearing. I want that crown then. As an athlete, I'm going to start disciplining my life and paying the price, enduring the cost now. And if the world says, hey, you're missing out on it, I don't care. That's what I don't want to miss out on. I'm going to endure it. When the world throws it at us, we're gonna say this is great training we're getting stronger we're getting tougher we're getting wiser to achieve the crown that is worth it all I'm gonna endure it like a good soldier a soldier who doesn't get entangled in civilian affairs a soldier has one obligation To complete the mission given to him by the commanding officer brothers and sisters we do not let the secular world set our agenda we do not let the secular world set the topic of our conversation we do not get entangled in civilian secular affairs we do not let unbelievers dictate our thoughts our conversation, our values. We do not get entangled in such. We have a king, we have a commander, and it's his word and his will that defines us, that guides us, that leads us. Everybody else is just an opinion. I'm going to endure that. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get the mission done. Have you been reading about some of our special forces? They're nuts. If you want to be a SEAL, they will literally drown-proof you. Okay. I'm not making this up. They will what? They will drown you until you pass out, and then they'll revive you. So you're no longer scared of being drowned. I got choked up watching it on television. I, <coughs> I couldn't that's what it takes we'll drop you anywhere in the world we'll point to a mission to a target and you'd better be able to get there take care of whatever business we tell you to take care of and get back how you get there how you get back that's up to you that's the good soldier I'll endure any pain any hardship to accomplish the mission. I'm not going to be sidetracked by secular sideshows. What's the mission? One, keep learning yourself. What you have heard of from me in the presence of many witnesses, Paul says, you keep growing in, you keep listening to that, you keep paying attention to that. Everything about a Christian comes out of the overflow of Christ in your life. You cannot hold the ocean in a thimble if you are with christ if you are walking with christ he's pouring himself into you and he will slosh out of you run over you can't contain all that he is and it will slosh over to those people around you all it all comes out of the overflow which means the first thing you have to do is to take care of your own discipleship Remember when you're on an airplane and they tell you if the oxygen mask falls, what do you do first? Put your mask on first. Then you help the people around you. You don't help anybody if you pass out. You don't help anybody if you're trying to follow a disciple plan that you had as a child. You're supposed to grow up. It's supposed to be harder you're supposed to be dealing with harder questions and deeper truths. it gets tougher you're supposed to be working muscles in a different way you're always going to be engaged in Scripture out of the overflow I've made it a a, a commitment to read the Bible through again and I'm reading the Jacob Esau story Um, you remember Jacob stole Esau's birthright Esau told Jacob I'll kill you next time I see you and so we get to the part of the story where Jacob is trying to come home and Esau is waiting on him, and now Jacob can't hide, and Esau's got him. And so Jacob sends his entire family across the river first. Remember the story? Everybody. So if Esau starts killing people, I can get a head start on him. Now, my brave man, Jacob. All right, that's, that's what that is. J, uh, Esau doesn't kill anybody. finally finds Jacob. They embrace. Esau asks Jacob, what is all this? Jacob says, that's an offering to you. Do you remember what Esau told him? Keep it. I've got more than enough. So I got fired up. I can't, I've been writing this. I can't wait to preach it. I may break the sermon just so I can preach the sermon. Really, how many of us have sold our birthright? How many of us? Have given away the very thing that we thought would give our life meaning that defined who we were and we've lost it our god is so good and so powerful that he will grow your life and bless your life so that when somebody offers you what you lost you don't need it keep it that's going to be a great sermon. I just really can't wait to get that okay. it. Anyway. Can't believe how many times I've read that story. How many times I read past that and never caught the significance of Esau's response. And you find faithful men. Faithful people. What's he mean? It means don't waste time with potential you know that's a French word means you're not worth a whole lot yet (laughs) nothing is worse than potential you have potential you have potential No, we're not looking for potential we're looking for people who have taken the first step of obedience okay listen some of us want God to do great things we pray God do great things in my life And you won't trust him in small things you won't let him do a little thing and because you won't take the first step he won't take you to the end of the journey you take the first step i'm looking for someone who has opened their life to the work of christ and has taken that first step for them whatever it may be but they're taking the first step they've been faithful in small things if you read the story of the parables Uh, the the, the, the parable of the talents the guy who had five had two last time and the guy who had two had one the master went off a lot and he would entrust his servants with his resources and he trusted them with smaller resources when they proved faithful in that then he would bless them with more the guy with five had been faithful with one He'd been faithful with two. Now the Lord trusted him with five, and now he was going to give him five more. But because most of us will not be faithful with the one talent, Jesus won't trust you with two. So who are those people around you who have taken that first step of faith? that you can invest in, that you can pour your life in, that you can share Christ with, that you can help deepen their faith in, so that they will learn how to be faithful in sharing it with other people. I love the Olympics. I especially love the relay races. There's nothing more fun than watching four fast people run. The most dangerous part of the race is the passing of the baton. Several years ago, both the men and the women's American teams lost the relay races because both teams dropped the baton. It's a split-second kind of thing. They spend hours and hours rehearsing how you hold the baton, how you receive the baton, how you hold it when you run, and how you place it in somebody else's hand, lest somehow the baton be dropped and the race lost. So let me ask you this. If you had been a friend of Timothy's, And he had walked in and said, Hey, I got a letter from Paul. And if you had kind of stood there while he read the letter and you heard him read this thing about fine, faithful people that you can invest in who will teach other people, would Timothy have asked you? Would he have asked me? Or would the baton have dropped, and the race been lost? Let's pray together. The only reason I want your eyes closed and your head bowed so you're thinking about your own life in this moment. So you have time to think about what's important to you. For some of you, it's a time for you to get serious about passing the faith along to those men and women who are around you, who are in your life. You're seeing their faces now. And maybe your next step is to call them and say, hey, let's get together in a group. Or, hey, let's start meeting for coffee or lunch or whatever it is. And you start that process. Maybe that's the next step. If you need help with that, let us know. We'll be glad to provide you any help we can. Perhaps it's to find a group you get out there with the discipleship table and you find a group where you can get engaged or maybe, maybe the part of this story is you. You hear, you've heard the story about a savior who died for you. You've heard a story about a savior whose life, whose resurrection gives you life, a power and purpose you didn't even know was yours, but can be had this morning as his gift maybe you don't know what to do next maybe the only thing you're thinking about is how many times you have failed we don't expect you to understand it we don't expect you to get it all that's why our friends are standing out at a big table you'll see a big sign says next steps that's why they're there they're waiting on you right now to answer your questions to explain it more to you we don't expect you to have it all figured out That's why they're there. I beg you, do not leave this place with the baton having dropped. Lord Jesus, every life is open before you, every heart. So we pray the choices we make now are exactly what you want.